Welcome to Navigating Supply Chain Issues in Light of the Coronavirus Epidemic. Sponsored by the American Health Lawyers Association, this is going to be the first of a series of podcasts focusing on legal issues critical to preparedness, response, and recovery to the COVID-19 epidemic for healthcare facilities. I'm Delphine O'Rourke. I'm a partner in the healthcare practice of Dwayne Morris, and I advise clients on healthcare regulatory issues as well as emergency response and preparedness. So, and with me today is Michelle Johnson-Tijani. Hi there, I'm Michelle Johnson-Tijani. I serve as Senior Vice President and General Counsel for Henry Ford Health System in Detroit. And I have the pleasure of uh, serving this uh, organization with oversight responsibilities for the law department, audit compliance, governance, cybersecurity, um, and insurance. Looking forward to our conversation, Delphine. Great, thank you, Michelle. So thank you for taking the time in this in this chaotic period. So supply chain is a critical component of any risk mitigation strategy, and we're already working in an environment where there's a fear of global supply chain disruption. So as healthcare entities uh, develop both their both short-term and long-term strategies, what would be really helpful is to share some key issues that I'm seeing. Uh, with clients that clients are asking me and to hear how you're handling it um, because this is becoming an issue of greater and greater importance for healthcare companies, hospitals, and health systems. So one of the questions that I've been getting uh, consistently is how do we, do we have shortages? Is it just a disruption? How do we find out whether we're going to have shortages in, let's say, active pharmaceutical ingredients? So the FDA is closely watching and requiring notification when it has the authority to do so of shortages of critical medical products. Uh, currently, the FDA has indicated there are no shortages of protective, uh, personal protective equipment. Um, while many facilities are ordering protective uh, equipment in advance, there's no official shortage that there's no shortage of active pharmaceutical ingredients and no shortages of medical devices. Now, it's important to note that uh, medical device manufacturers are not required to notify the FDA, uh, but they're being asked to report, including healthcare facilities. So if you start seeing shortages, please report to the FDA so that uh, the FDA can communicate. And then similarly, the FDA is not aware of any cellular gene therapies that are made in China and seeing disruptions or blood and blood pathogens. Uh, animal drugs, however, uh, there is a concern that there are some disruptions that could lead to shortages. So really closely monitor the FDA sites and the governmental sites, including the CDC, to appreciate whether there's a fear, whether there's an actual disruption, and whether we're going to see a point where we have a complete supply chain shutdown for, for certain critical products. So, Michelle, uh, if you could share, you know, what are you doing, sort of short-term plan, long-term plan, and, and addressing both interruptions that might be temporary or longer term? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I would say, you know, all of our activity around COVID-19 is really guided by our, what we call our incident command center, which is really set up in execution of our emergency management plan. So, so through the incident command, we have sort of a clinical uh, team, and then there's also a broader system operational team. And through that system operational team, we have a supply chain. Um, we have, in, you know, a line of sight into supply chain. And so one of the things that we are um, doing and being really thoughtful about is use of PPE and certainly communication channels regarding any medication shortages. And so we have tried throughout the organization to to double down on our communication around appropriate versus inappropriate use of PPE in particular because 
because we know that the, the broader community has a great deal of concern around masks and the like. So reminding our employees of the appropriate use um, of those tools and reminding our clinicians just to sort of manage um, how purposeful um, they can be when appropriately utilized and ensure that we don't have shortages. So we certainly have communications around the organization and, and we're appreciative of the fact that we think the organization has been incredibly um, thoughtful in that space. And so really doubling down on communications and making sure that when there are problems, those things get resulted, uh, um, resolved through the supply chain chain of command. And if necessary, those issues get um, elevated to our incident command center. And that is sort of the end all of uh, problem resolution for the organization. So um, things are sort of centralized uh, from that perspective, but every every uh, department across the organization or every, you know, every working functional unit throughout the organization kind of has a team that's responding and reporting up through through incident command. And so that's how we've been able to kind of keep a keep um, track of things throughout the enterprise. So Michelle, even on a good day, you know, they said that hospitals mm -hmm. see about $5 billion in waste year from high-value pharmaceutical products, and, and part of the challenge is IT platforms, and also that hospitals generally don't want to have just, you know, more stock than they need, so it's, you know, a lot of times a just-in-time model. Uh, what are you doing around inventorying, and good practices to inventory constantly, but are you doing anything additional, and same with your IT platform, anything else, any other tips that you could share? Yeah, for also, so, yeah. It's funny. So supply chain, obviously, throughout an organization doesn't sit in isolation, right? It has a lot of different dependencies throughout the enterprise. And so one of the things that's really important in your supply chain operations, not only your equipment, not only your supplies, but, but revisiting your contractual relationships that need to be in place oftentimes, uh, of which were, were negotiated through your supply chain team. So taking a look at sort of critical um, contractual relationships, making sure, of course, that we, we revisited terms so that we are able to execute and or uh, be serviced by those contractual relationships. The other thing that I think is really pretty critical is that a lot of that uh, supply chain infrastructure as well as the balance of the enterprise sit upon um, IT systems that um, are, are more vulnerable at times like this. And so doubling down on our efforts from a cyber perspective, making sure we remain watchful and diligent uh, around the sensitivity of our data and the, the higher likelihood of um, people attempting to do uh, inappropriate things with the system, you know, hacking and the like, those things tend to go up uh, at times like this. So we are certainly uh, doubling down on those efforts. And so as a part of our system command, we actually have uh, the leader of our um, cyber function uh, as a part of the leadership team because we realize how critical um, that is at this point in time. So revisiting contractual provisions, obligations that people have to us, uh, what we have to them to make sure that those are able to be fulfilled during this time, most of those originating from the supply chain area, and then being mindful of the infrastructure upon which cyber, uh, our uh, infrastructure upon which our supply chain sits, which is um, cyber, and, and really being um, thoughtful, deploying resources, additional resources that we need to protect our infrastructure. Yeah, and those are great points, Michelle. Um, I'd like to pause a little bit on the contractual relationships, and those are questions yep. that I'm getting from, you know, clients who, you know, I'm advising, you know, review your mission-critical contracts. Um, yep. To your point, you said three years, but, you know, make sure that you dust them off if you're not looking at them on a regular basis, and look at your emergency-critical provisions, including force majeure, surge requirements, yep. 
you know, are yeah. they addressed? Pass through yep. requirements, lengths of emergency, um, and are there any other contractual areas that you're focusing on? And then I'll ask about price gouging and if you've seen any of that. Yeah, so I would say we are absolutely focused on kind of doing um, an inventory of our contractual relationships, utilizing our contracting database to pull out key terms. I would say that the, the principal focus has been around uh, timing, payment terms, as well as force majeure. Um, one of the things that's interesting around force majeure is determining whether COVID-19 is actually applicable, um, just depending on how those uh, provisions are scripted, you know, contract to contract. We've certainly, as a legal team, been engaged um, in, in taking a look at those to figure out what our contractual rights are um, during times like this. So it is, um, it's been important to spend the time in addition to all of the other things that we're trying to do to, to manage this, to, to be really thoughtful about that and really rely. I mean, this is the time where, you know, you really um, rely upon those contract management systems and the infrastructure that you have in place um, to be able to, to, to quickly uh, retrieve those clauses and um, determine their applicability. Delphine, there was a second part of that question I'm not recalling in this moment. Yeah, so the question is, if you, there's been concern about price gouging. That's oh, yeah. areas yeah. where we're already seeing shortages, you know, protective yep. personal equipment being one of them, that vendors yep. are coming back and trying to increase the contractual, correctly uh, yeah. yeah. to prices to, to benefit yep. from those situations or take advantage of those yep. situations. So I would say, you know, we have not seen that as yet. Um, and I'm hoping that we don't. I think it was helpful that the government sort of doubled down in a communication fairly recently uh, from the DOJ around the requirement of, of, of manufacturers to be mindful of consumer protection and, and that antitrust laws will continue to be in place uh, during this time. And so I think that was helpful to the, the, the broader community. And I think we're pretty fortunate because we have not, um, we have not to the best of my knowledge, experienced any of that at this point. Well, that's that's great to hear. That's great to hear. Yeah. And you know, the force majeure clauses; those are interesting clauses. Um, they often don't get much attention, particularly no, yeah, right. Uh, right relating to disease. Um, yep. Not generally clauses, unless you're in high risk, maybe oil contracting, but not high risk clauses that we usually focus on in the healthcare industry. Yep. So, President Trump is, you know, just declared national emergency. How do you see that affecting the interpretation of force majeure clauses? or even state, uh, states announcing um, uh, state, you know, state national or state emergencies. How do you see yeah. that affecting the interpretation of force majeure? Well, I think you have a stronger argument. Obviously, you have to take a look at the language that you have and be, be you know, read it. Um, it varies from contract to contract, but I think that the fact that in Michigan we have um, a, a declarative emergency in our state, the, the president uh, declaring a state of emergency, I think is favorable. Uh, but we are just calling upon the organization to let's retrieve those critical agreements um, and be thoughtful about um, what it says and, and, and where we have appropriate arguments to be made. But um, I think I think that's more helpful uh, than hurtful in this situation, obviously. And what also clients have been asking, you know, even if their force majeure clause would, could be interpreted in their favor, there's also a, a client relation piece and an optics yeah. piece and you refer to you know, yep. the DOJ, um, that a vendor who is enforcing clauses to the detriment of public health will not be viewed in the court of public opinion very favorably. Um, right. Do you think, you know, I mean, it's, it's you're taking advantage uh, of, a, of a really devastating situation. 
Um, so as part of any, you know, risk mitigation strategy, we have to say diversify, you know, um, and just diversify your vendors if possible. In your opinion, is it is it too late for some of these critical uh, medical devices or or uh, drugs to diversify? Well, if we if we were if we were to see instances of that kind of activity, we absolutely would uh, revisit our relationship with that vendor. It is very tough in in this moment to to consider having to do that, right? Practically because we're yeah. managing under emergency circumstances, but certainly most of these relationships are not new, right? To the fact that we've identified them as critical typically means um, that these are long-standing long or, or, or just important relationships to the institution. I would imagine that um, once this has subsided and we've gotten to a little better point, there is no question in my mind that if there was a vendor um, that was problematic or attempting to price gouge or do things that, that didn't align with the law, um, and certainly, um, and even if it wasn't, you know, per, per se illegal, if it was inconsistent with our culture, right? We don't expect sure. prices to creep um, inconsistent with the contract or, or prices to um, more significantly creep year over year or month over month, depending on um, the terms, um, than they would have under ordinary circumstances. So that certainly would jeopardize um, the relationship and require us to evaluate other vendors. But of course, I mean, we are where we are in this moment, and so um, we've been fortunate. We haven't had to to deal with any situations like that at this point, but we are carefully, carefully monitoring. So I think the cautionary note to not only to, to, to us, but I, I'm certain this is an issue for all healthcare organizations, just to be mindful, but importantly, double down, revisit those contracts, pull them up, dust them off, uh, pull out those clauses so you can partner um, with, 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 with folks like us, you know, the, the, the lawyers to make sure that we have clauses that make sense. Um, mm -hmm. And if there are uh, declared state of emergencies in our respective states, figuring out how those might be helpful to us. So, Michelle, you've talked about both communications and relationships. And we're also yep. talking about long term, and that's mm -hmm. not, you know, advising clients um, in in this context, but also in many other emergencies that mm -hmm. that I've been involved with is communicate, communicate, and if you have relationships with your counterpart um, at you know significant suppliers or relationship mm -hmm. with your counterpart at your neighboring healthcare facility, reach out to them. It's now yeah. is not the time to introduce. You know, when you're in the middle of a crisis, it's not the time to Absolutely. introduce yourself. Um, yeah. If you're going to have to transfer patients, whatever it is. But if you haven't yep. done so already, reach out, communicate, develop those relationships, reinforce those relationships because they are so critical when time is sensitive and yeah. to making sure that the resolution is positive for, for everyone. Um, I was just so we're on that. Yeah. Just just on that point, though, Delphine, I think you make an excellent point. In Michigan, we have the Michigan Hospital Association, which has done a great job pulling together providers um, across the organization, administrative professionals. And then we also have a general counsel forum um, of, of, of lawyers in healthcare in the state that sort of informally connect. I would say that I have been incredibly impressed with the, the, the commitment of my partners across the state to really dig into issues as we see them in our respective enterprises and partner around trying to, to get to resolution. So to your point, Delphine, around communication, um, it has been uh, just incredibly helpful to share uh, best practices um, and being really transparent to each other in all the appropriate ways, of course, but being transparent around ways that we could uh, meaningfully support each other as we go through this together. 
Yeah, that's again, that's fantastic to hear for a variety of reasons. And I think generally we have a really positive bar at HLA. I'll put a plug for HLA, it plays a major role in that. Uh, the issues are coming, you know, and the issues are coming fast and furious. And every day, uh, if not, you know, every hour, there's a new issue that a facility maybe didn't think of or it's presenting in a different manner. Um, so that's Absolutely. great to hear. And we're hoping that part of these podcasts share that in real time. Um, we're talking about short term. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of speculation as to how long the epidemic's going to last. Um, but there's no agreement. There's no certainty. So it's not just, you know, I've worked on floods or tornadoes. This is not an acute event. Right. What is your, how are you approaching this so that we can sustain into the future and have a long-term plan around supply chain? Yeah. So I would just say, um, you know, so we have um, that sort of to the point on communication. We have daily calls. We have weekly calls. We have executive leadership um, meetings on a regular basis um, dealing with all of the issues arising under, uh, under COVID-19. And so supply chain is um, no different. So the supply chain team itself is meeting quite regularly. And when issues come up, they get escalated to incident command. And then we are taking action um, immediately across the system um, throughout departments, including supply chain where appropriate. So I think it's one, making sure that you have good vis visibility around the issue. And then two, um, making sure you have leadership at the right level to respond to the issues. And we are planning, I mean, you know, so we can't say to your point, Delphine, that this is a two or three week um, thing. We have incident command in place for the long term. Um, it's an infrastructure that we've had. We bring it up, of course, when emergencies arise. And so it mm -hmm. is up indefinitely. That's great to hear. That's great to hear. And I think, um, you know, and going back to Trump's uh, announcement that hospitals now need to deploy the emer their emergency preparedness plans. Can you touch a little yep. bit on that? I mean, we, yep. we should all we should all have them, right? And yep. hopefully yep. Yep. Them yep. Uh, yep. And now they're, they're more than ready to go. So can you touch yep. on that? Then? That would be great. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, throughout the organization, um, we have um, an emergency preparedness plan. And one of the, the, the tenets of that is, uh, you know, quickly establishing an incident command center. And so we have a number of hospitals throughout Southeast Michigan, and each of those has its individual incident command, which rolls up to a single incident command. Um, that oftentimes is very focused on a lot of the clinical issues. We've expanded our efforts to establish an incident command infrastructure around many of the operational and what I would call running the business issues so that together we are aligned sort of clinical operational running the business issues and reporting into an executive team around things that are coming up uh, with our incident command centers. And so we've got, um, we were fortunate in that we had a, an infrastructure that we just needed to activate. And then on activation of that infrastructure, it's not been perfectly seamless. I, should, I don't want to suggest that, but we have uh, been able to really execute against, you know, the, the, the areas that we know need to uh, be responded to. So it's, it's, it's nice to have that infrastructure. And then for folks who don't have those yet in place, I mean, there's lots of material on um, setting them, you know, setting these types of uh, processes up, but it's really being able to touch all of the critical areas in the organization, prioritizing, and then more importantly, perhaps communicating standardized information across the enterprise. I think one of the um, 
things that uh, it, it is very apparent when you're dealing with crises like this is that it is it is often the case that you have large swaths of folks in various parts of the organization who may be inclined to do X or Y relative to remote access or other, you know, sort of business operations or, you know, OR utilization throughout the enterprise. But when you've got 35,000 employees, you kind of don't want everybody doing something different. There is a need to sort of standardize some key areas um, with, a, with an appreciation for the fact that not everybody can do it exactly the same, but there is a need to message out um, an approach to handling things throughout the organization that is um, somewhat consistent. And so the incident command infrastructure really born out of our emergency preparedness has been a really critical tool. So Michelle, you mentioned 35,000 employees and and Henry Ford, you're you're huge. You're a major player. You have and you know you have the infrastructure, you have a contract database. What are you, are you doing anything with smaller hospitals, rural hospitals? Are you partnering anyway, even if it's just, just give advice? Um, you know, we know that even in 2019, uh, there's a record number of rural hospitals and smaller hospitals that have closed, and this is going to be a challenge. Uh, has, has there been any coordination within, within Michigan or within your group to, to reach out? So I would just say that we partner, um, anybody who calls and asks a question or wants to lean upon our our system, we are more than happy to do that, and we do that on a day-to-day -day basis, either through our, you know, questions directly to our incident command or one-off situations that come to us via email from other uh, organizations. We have, I mean, to the point earlier around, you know, the willingness of organizations to kind of reach out via email, we have, we have done that, and we've had others do it uh, for us. It has been, I think, uh, pretty collaborative with a number of organizations. There's no formal um, sort of um, program for doing that. And most of it's been informal, but certainly from our leadership perspective, our leadership's perspective, it is, um, you know, uh, there's a tremendous amount of willingness to to reach out, share best practices, and then ask, you know, how other people are handling specific situations that arise generally under this. So, Michelle, anything else that you would like to share um, that we haven't touched on? And, and again, our audience is broad. What's also including, what's really critical? If there's just a couple pieces of advice around supply chain, there's a lot of concern and buzz that we're going to have, you know, personal ventilator shortages, that we're going to have testing, yeah. test shortages. You know, yeah. if you could just, again, elaborate on that, your thoughts and yeah. what you're doing as a major player in, in our yeah. healthcare uh, industry. Well, so what I would just say is, you know, there is a quite a bit of information out there and to the extent possible, you know, using your regulatory team, your legal team to make sure that they're getting as much information as can be published and processing that for your incident command or your leadership team so that people are aware of the options available to them from a supply chain perspective. I would say just very generally communicating to the organization about um, you know, use of the equipment. Just a reminder, I think our organizations are all well-intentioned. In times like this, though, people don't always behave as you might expect them to uh, in calmer times. And so just a reminder to the organization about um, the importance of your PPE and, and how that should be used, I, I think is, is, is pretty critical. Um, there's been some great guidance um, and reminders from CMS around the, the use of some of these things. And so, again, back to the point on, on communication so that people are aware. I would also just encourage people to pull your, your biggest, most important contractual relationships. 
um, your folks on the finance team and your supply chain team will know exactly uh, what those relationships are. Take a look at those contracts and, and um, dust off some of, the, some of the, the key provisions just to make sure that you're going to get the commitment that you need or are able to execute in the way that it's uh, anticipated for you. Um, to execute execute during this time, and then and then don't lose sight of the fact that all of our infrastructures are at risk, and so whoever is monitoring your um, IT infrastructure, this is a time where some organizations can be very vulnerable. So I would just encourage people to be mindful of that and not lose sight of that as we get you know um, as as we double down on our focus on the clinical and other parts of the operation. Be mindful that this is um, a time where hackers are out there. So. You want to um, you want to you you want to um, be thoughtful about those efforts. I guess maybe finally, you know, offer some calm um, to your teams. I mean, this is a um, an incredible um, time uh, in healthcare for all of our organizations. It's very difficult um, to navigate through this. But if there is um, some thoughtfulness about your process um, and, and an ability to kind of create some calm in the organization, I think there is. Um, an a real opportunity to promote collaboration throughout the organization, sometimes in ways you didn't know could even exist, because in healthcare, I think there is a real strong culture of coming together when things matter. And so I know that's one of the things that, you know, we've experienced uh, here through this and other things that have come up, but, 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 but no notably um, through this uh, particular occurrence. And I, and I trust and believe that that is happening at so many organizations across the country. So, so trust your people, communicate with your people, collaborate with people, share information as it becomes um, available, and we'll get through this. I mean, it's changing day by day. And so just staying abreast of what is happening is, is, is pretty core. But um, I, I think I am, um, in fact, I know I'm committed that we're all going to get through this. Um, we'll get through this together. Michelle, I love that in your final thoughts, you're, you're sharing, you know, be thoughtful, be reassured, uh, keep calm, um, make sure we have trust, that we communicate, and that in healthcare, we do have a culture of coming together when things matter. Um, so thank you, thank you for that. And, you know, also to your point of staying abreast with the intent of podcast. So this first one has been on supply chain. Our next podcast will be on Imtala. Um, and again, Michelle, thank you, and thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. Thank you.